I'm Aaron Hinkin. This is the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. Uh, Webster Phillips, and my question is, um, there's a ton of marble steps in Baltimore, but uh, where did marble come from? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Are you a longtime Baltimore guy? I was born and raised here. I'm a photographer and archivist. I work a lot with Baltimore history, and you always hear the stories about scrubbing the steps. I remember scrubbing the steps, you know, back when I was a little younger. So your family home growing up had the marble steps out front? Definitely. I have a photo here I want to show you. You're a photographer. You probably know this photo. It's by uh, the Baltimore photographer A. Aubrey Bodine. This is a black and white photo. It's from around 1950. Uh, it's shot down the length of a Baltimore sidewalk. It's like almost like an optical illusion because you see all these identical sets of these gleaming white marble steps. And you see all these housewives and kids, they're out there with the buckets and scrub brushes cleaning the steps. And I think this photo has a lot to do with the myth of Baltimore's marble steps and and what they represent. What do do you think about this photo? I'm definitely familiar with this photo. And there's another photo that I definitely want to show you where it's some people out front scrubbing steps on a different side of Baltimore, I'm sure. This is, you've just unrolled it. It's poster-sized, also a black and white photo, also historical. This is a photo taken by your grandfather. Paint a picture with words about what's in this photo. Uh, In the foreground, it's a young lady who's emptying out a bucket of water. There's an older lady who's uh, scrubbing steps. Uh, There's a store in the corner selling fresh fish. But just it's a classic Baltimore street scene. Looks like it could be maybe Fulton Avenue, somewhere on the west side, but it's it's really hard to tell. I mean, you look at A. Aubrey Bodine's photo. Everyone in that photo is white folks. You look at this photo. And it's a black part of town. Same marble steps, different people. It's interesting to think about the similarities and the differences between A. Aubrey Bodine's photo and your grandfather's photo. Yeah, I mean, the photos, like, you know, a photo, you know, tells a thousand words. I try to look at them as a way to begin a conversation around the photo and try to find out more information behind it. All right, we're going to get that conversation started first with a story about an unusual act of performance art that happened in Baltimore about 15 years ago. My name is Megan Hildebrandt, and I am talking to you from Austin, Texas. Before she moved to Austin, Megan spent a few years living in Baltimore as an artist-in-residence at the Creative Alliance in the city's southeast neighborhood of Highlandtown. Megan never had a car when she lived in Baltimore, so she walked everywhere. And so I spent a lot of time staring at rows and rows of marble steps. Megan's neighborhood row houses had those marble steps, like the ones in the A. Aubrey Bodine photo. She'd seen the photo herself, with all the people out scrubbing their stoops. But when she was walking around 50 years after that photo, she noticed a difference. The stoops, they were like really, really dirty. And so I started to just be like, no one's doing this. And I realized, like, where did this tradition go to? So Megan thought, maybe I could go out and scrub those steps myself. If nothing else, it'd be an interesting way to meet my neighbors. So she went to a thrift store and decked herself out in a 50s-style house dress, and she got a bucket and a scrub brush, and she wandered up the block to ask her neighbors if she could scrub their marble steps. I remember knocking that first morning on like five doors before someone answered, and there was a lot of young men, (laughs) and I didn't speak Spanish, and I felt like an idiot, and they were just like, yeah, like you can, like eventually we figured out that I was allowed to scrub their steps for free and I wasn't asking for money. And 
And then there's these little girls like going up and down a street on like an office rolling chair. And they they just started to guide me down their street. And they were like, we know where the dirty ones are. And they told me where I was missing spots. And I offered for them to try. And they said that they, they weren't interested. But they were good at guiding me. Megan ended up doing this for four hours every Saturday morning for the next six months. And she had a blast. She met her neighbors. And she achieved a sense of community that maybe was something like what she saw in that Bodine photo. But along the way, Megan also learned that that old photo was staged, and she came to feel like it evoked a narrow, monochromatic image of Americana. That photo may have been the springboard for her community art project. But where I ended up was seeing how much, specifically East Baltimore, was changing and was becoming more and more rich with people from all over the world and from people with people that had been there their whole lives. You know, the person who asked the question for this week's episode was asking, like, where did all the marble come from? Do you have any idea about the history of those steps and the marble that made them? No, that's still a mystery to me. So strike one on the mystery of the marble's origin. But Megan did give me a lead, though. She used to work at Baltimore's Walters Art Museum. And she told me she had a friend there, a security guard, who remembered growing up in a house with marble steps. So I got in touch with him, met him at the museum. His name is William A. Murray. He was born in Baltimore in 1956, and he grew up in a row house on Brookfield Lane in Reservoir Hill. And I remember uh, folks in the neighborhood, it was kind of a tradition to go out on Saturday mornings and clean the marble steps. Well, I was a young kid, but I do remember my grandmother being out there scrubbing the steps. Did you ever get uh, tasked with the chore of doing that? Yeah, once or twice, but I'm not sure how good I was at it because I was so young. We moved away from that area when I was eight years old. Mr. Murray is 65 years old now. It's been decades since he lived in that house. But he remembers that those gleaming white marble steps were a mark of neighborhood pride. Well, I think it symbolized togetherness and just keeping your area clean, your neighborhood clean. And everyone was kind of like on the same page in that aspect. You say you uh, Google mapped? The house, can I see a picture of it? Yes. There it is, red brick row house, white marble steps. You know, I'm not going to say the address or dox anybody, but it looks like those steps could use a scrubbing. Yeah, I know, right? doesn't look like they take the same kind of pride that we did back in the day. So you have any idea where the marble came from for those steps? I have absolutely no idea, none at all. Strike two, but fear not, I did finally find someone who has the definitive answer to the mystery of the marble's origin. He's an amateur historian who's devoted the last 40 years of his life to studying marble in Maryland. And his name is Philip Lord. You ready for the answer? It's closer than you might think. Only about 17 miles north of the city. The marble came from the Beaver Dam quarries and associated quarries right up there in Cockeysville. And that would include Texas marble as well. I'm going to interrupt you because when you say Texas marble, you mean from the town of Texas, Maryland. That is correct. It's slightly south of um, Cockeysville, and you can actually see the quarries if you look quickly as you're driving northbound on um, I-83. This marble from the quarry in Cockeysville ended up in some famous monuments 
Talk about uh, those destinations. Well, the first Washington Monument in the country was built in Mount Vernon, and the source of that marble was from a couple of different locations in Cockeysville. Later, beginning um, in the mid-19th century, the National Monument to George Washington was built um, in two different phases. The lower portion is built of Texas marble, About eh, halfway up, you'll see a slight band of marble from Lee, Massachusetts, but the rest of the marble is from the Beaver Dam quarries in Cockeysville. So you see that color differentiation as you look at the monument. That's not the only one. In the early 19th century, the um, Albright Knox Art Gallery in Buffalo, New York, was built of the same white stone. White stone was extremely desirable. Um, And we have probably two of the best examples in Baltimore City, the beautiful Baltimore City Hall and the Temple Oheb Shalom in West Baltimore. So there you have it. If you've got marble steps in front of your row house in Baltimore, you can take pride in the fact that that marble is the same stone that was used to build the Washington Monument. Although it might be more truthful to say those steps are made from the stone that wasn't quite up to snuff for a monument. The marble um, that was less desirable for the exterior of a building was sent down to Baltimore for use as marble steps. And in fact, one source um, from the Sun Paper in 1942 said, the source of thousands of marble steps in Baltimore City. You're listening to the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. And we're going to take a trip up to the Beaver Dam Quarry and check the place out for ourselves in just a moment. Use the left two lanes to turn left onto Beaver Dam Road. Well, here we are at uh, Beaver Dam Quarry, uh, or at least as close as I can get to it, because it is now Beaver Dam Swim Club. It is gated off and very obviously closed for winter. But uh, I actually went to a little corporate parking lot and have a nice view right now over the whole thing. It's really serene. It looks like a lake. And it's got these swimming rafts out there and picnic tables and volleyball courts. And looks like there's a little snack shop down there that's open in the summer. And they uh, made this idyllic little swimming hole by flooding the quarry back in the 1930s. And uh, it's deep. They say it's like 200 feet deep. They originally started digging around here back in the early 1800s because they looked around and saw some white marble outcroppings in the ground. And then by mid-19th century, they'd really got down to business here uh, with teams of workers coming in using hand drills and hammers and chisels. And then as the century rolled on, they graduated to steam-powered derricks and steam shovels. They carved up uh, huge columns of marble out of here and hauled them out 16 feet long. And they'd load them onto these ox-pulled wagons and take them to the Pennsylvania Railroad that was known as the uh, Northern Central Railway at the time. And then uh, from there to the marble shops. Uh, At one time, there were more than 140 different marble vendors in Baltimore. This was a dangerous place to work, as you might imagine. Uh, But weirdly enough, when you look at the accident reports from the time, the danger wasn't so much from the pieces of marble falling on you. Uh, as it was from things flying around down there in the quarry, like chips of marble and pieces of metal tools. This uh, place lost its profitability 
around the time of the Great Depression. And then uh, what was left here of the accessible marble got blasted by President Eisenhower's big roads program to make gravel to lay down for the bedding for interstates. And once you blast in a marble quarry, it sends these microfractures through the bedding of stone, and it's no longer viable for dimensional stone, or whether it's uh, the side of a building to give you a nice flat surface because you can't do it with the cracks in it. It won't be stable. This is Tom Doyle. He's the president of Hillgartner Natural Stone Company in South Baltimore. They do marble fabrication and installation, and they've been in business a long time. Ludwig Hillgartner came as a stonemason, and during the Civil War, obviously, there was a great need for headstones. So he set up shop under his own name with his partner. It was Hillgartner and Schimpf, and they started making headstones during the Civil War. This, of course, was a good location because you had both the South and the North to service. After the war was over, the company went into fabrication of stone buildings. But you got to remember, most of Baltimore was built out of wood at the time. Then came the Great Fire of 1905. Everything got wiped out by one fire. Uh, Hillgartner happened to uh, not only have just relocated to an area that was not impacted by the fire, but they also handled the fabrication for the quarries out in Cockeysville, both the uh, Cockeysville quarry as well as the adjacent uh, Texas-Maryland quarry. So once the city is burned down... Uh, people were not inclined to rebuild again in wood. So the city got built, and the row homes through the city, you'll see, are, are you know all brick or masonry of some kind. And the bottom three or four feet of those, what they call the water table, was going to be stone. And with that quarry right there in Cockeysville and his full fabrication facility here in South Baltimore, it was just a natural fit. Part of that natural fit was furnishing those new brick row houses with a set of new marble steps. And business was brisk. If somebody was going to order some marble steps from Hillgartner back in 1910, what would need to be done? Uh, well, basically, we would uh, send somebody out to see what width they had to be and what the uh, sidewalk condition was. Uh, we would take a block of stone and, and cut the landing and the two steps or three steps, depending on the size. And, and in the lobby, you might have seen a picture of the horse-drawn uh, delivery truck, if you will. So we would take it out there, deliver it. Uh, it would be put in in a lime cement, and uh, it would be a one-day undertaking. Today, more than 150 years after the company's founding, Hillgartner Natural Stone is still a successful business, and that's mainly because they've managed to adapt to the times. The Beaver Dam Quarry is closed, and the Marble Step era has come and gone. A lot of stonework these days, like those popular granite countertops, can be done by automated machines. But Hillgartner is the last of the apprentice shops in the country. In other words, they put their fabricators through a three-year apprenticeship, and when they're finished with that, Mr. Doyle says, if you can do it out of wood, they can do it out of marble. It just takes a little longer. More and more of Hillgartner's business these days is about doing fine repairs and restoring stonework that was originally done by hand. Not only are we historically restoring buildings that we built to begin with, because there's very few buildings in Baltimore, certainly, that Hillgartner hands haven't touched, but 
What really makes you feel old is when they're getting historic credit for rebuilding something that you were there to build to begin with. Mr. Doyle says times may change, tastes may change, the economy may change, but there's something about marble that stays the same, literally, and that's what makes it special. Marble has to it a natural beauty. Yes, it's structurally sound, and, and actually the more colorful it gets, the less sound it is, but it's got a, it's got a, it's Mr. Big's hand uh, drawing something, and it carries with it an elegance that you just don't see in other building materials. Mr. Big's hand. I like that. It reminds me of something the marble historian Phil Lord told me when I visited him. He said, there's nothing like looking up at a huge marble column or facade. We have our own pyramids in this country. And some of them are even in the shape of steps in front of people's houses. Webster Phillips, you ask this week's question, where did the marble come from for all those marble steps in Baltimore? I feel like your question ended up turning into a pretty cool historical dive with some interesting rabbit holes along the way. What are your thoughts here at the end of this story? I mean, it makes sense um, that it came from somewhere local, especially like hearing hearing how, you know, they're pulling it with ox-drawn carriages and horse-drawn carriages and like trying to imagine, you know, some guy trying to fit that marble onto someone's steps after getting it off of a, a, you know, a horse-drawn wagon. Um, and I, even listening to the story, I remember hearing, I guess it was like an urban legend that somebody said that, you know, the marble was in the bottom of ships that they used to to help the weights of the ships or something like that. You hear some stories here and there, but definitely, um, you know, when you dive into something like that, you really never know what you're going to get. That myth about the marble being used as ballast for the ships, I heard that in my research for this uh, story as well. Didn't make it into the story, but even after the quarry, closed in Cockeysville, Baltimore was still getting a lot of marble because it was a port city. And all those boats uh, could bring it over pretty cheap because it was helpful to the boats because it kept the boats from, you know, tipping over on the waves because they put it in the bottom of the ship. Yeah. Have you ever been up to uh, that swimming hole up in Cockeysville? You know where, where he's talking about? Yeah, I actually went up there uh, to a birthday party um, not too long ago. But you don't think this, you know, people call it a quarry, but you're never thinking of what it really used to be in the head it is you know it was 200 feet deep or something like that is uh kind of wild you like think of you know is anybody any videos anybody maybe diving down there to be able to like kind of check out what's at the bottom what it, what it looked like you had no idea the answer was right under your nose at one point right there <laughs> webster phillips thank you for uh, an excellent question i learned a lot this episode i definitely appreciate getting the answer By the way, I should say I've got some nice photos up for this week's episode on the Maryland Curiosity Bureau show page, wypr.org slash curiosity. Pictures of Beaver Dam Quarry then and now. There's a shot of artist Megan Hildebrandt in her 1950s house dress scrubbing some steps. Uh, Also some portraits of historian Phil Lord and Hillgartner Natural Stone President Tom Doyle. Uh, Also on the show page, a quick and easy form where you can drop me a question of your own. What's got you curious about the region? Always glad to hear from you at wypr.org slash curiosity. And a shout out to listener Paige this week for her kind review. Paige writes, I really enjoy the podcast, giving the answers us inquiring minds want to know on persistently pesky unanswered questions. 
that come to mind often. Thank you, Paige, and uh, everyone who's taken the time to drop a review on Apple Podcasts and the other platforms. Thanks for helping to spread the good word about the show. I appreciate you. The Maryland Curiosity Bureau is an original production of WYPR in Baltimore. I'm Aaron Henkin. Stay curious. Thanks for listening. And we'll do it again next week. The Maryland Curiosity Bureau is made possible with grant support from the Peel Center for Baltimore History and Architecture. Online at thepeelcenter.org. 